Just last night on May 2nd, a leaked draft of the upcoming decision by the Supreme Court on Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health was released by Politico. And this is unprecedented. It was reported that the Supreme Court has the votes to overturn Roe versus Wade. And this is not a final decision because the opinions and decisions of these justices can be changed until the official decision is released in late June. Abortion has been a heated debate for 50 years in this nation, and it has become the sacred cow of the left. Politicians like Pelosi and Schumer, who made statements yesterday, use both harsh and exaggerated language to grab at women's emotions. And let me be clear, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortion will not suddenly be illegal in all 50 states. But with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the choice will be given back to the states, to their elected officials and to the people of those states to make the decision that fits those who live there. And there have been many misconceptions of what the result of this decision on this case will mean. On this episode, I want it to be clear about what's at stake, and I want you to know the facts. This will continue to be a heated, divisive, and nasty debate, and we need to be praying for this case, and we need to be praying for the Supreme Court justices. Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. So welcome back to another episode of Fearless. I am here at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association coming from the studio. It's always fun to be here in the studio. Um, We are going to be talking about a topic that I think here in June, of course, we are all going to hear and the media is going to go crazy. It will be a frenzy. And that is, will Roe versus Wade be overturned when the U.S. Supreme Court makes their announcement sometime in June? And last December, of course, abortion was once again in the national spotlight um, when in December the U.S. Supreme Court heard the oral arguments of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. And abortion's always been a heated topic. It's a very sensitive topic, whether that's politically, culturally, um, or even in the church. And sadly, a lot of the church has neglected to talk about this issue because they haven't wanted to offend many of the people in their congregations. And I am thankful for the pastors that do stand on pro-life. They do teach their congregations these issues that this is not a— um, political issue, but this is a biblical issue that we are all created in God's image and that life has value. Even in the womb, the scriptures are so clear. And you think um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, when Jesus, um, he and John were both in the wombs of their mothers and that first meeting, it was just so intimate that um, John leapt in the womb of his mother when he met his Savior. And I just think it's sad to me that the church has sat silent for all these years, that we are in this position in this country because Christians have sat silent. And so this is um, a lot of confusion. I think there's been a lot of misconceptions around this case. I've been open about my story of how I sat on the sidelines for so long when it came about being pro-life. And you know, my personal story, I just always thought that was the law of the land as a millennial, that that law was not going to go anywhere, that maybe we could do things to chip away and we could do things in our community to um, love those women that are in need. But 
that that was the law and it wasn't going to change. And it was after I had my um, my first child, I had really suffered with depression while I was pregnant with her. Um, I honestly, I didn't want to be a mom. I cried all the way to the hospital <laughs> about having a baby, telling my husband I didn't want a child. And he looked at me like I was crazy saying, um, it's a little too late for that. But I remember it was after my son was born and these laws, these like late-term abortion laws that were being passed. And I couldn't imagine that if I went in there my third trimester crying in an, a, an emotional state, that there could have been a nurse that told me it would have been okay to abort a child in the third trimester up till birth, that that was just pure evil. And those are the things that we have been facing in this country. And so I want you to have a little more of understanding because you probably all saw the headlines of what it meant that Roe was going to be overturned, abortion would be abolished. We're going to go into some of those misconceptions today. I've invited one of my friends, a special guest, Kristen Hawkins, who's been here before. She's the president of Students for Life, to go over some of these facts with us that what do we need to know about Dobbs. But I think it's so important that— um, why we look at these issues as why the court should reconsider some of these issues when it comes to viability for a child. Because I look at how the left has weaponized science. They've used sciences on, on their side. You know, it's science, science, science. Well, then they disregard science um, when it doesn't work for them. But for so long, when it came to the abortion industry, we didn't have the science. We didn't have the technology to give us the facts. But isn't it amazing that the creator of science, God of the universe, uh, he's continued to reveal to us through modern technology and advances. It's given us this like front row seat, as I've heard somebody call it, this front row seat to the miraculous voyage of life as it occurs, the things that we can see inside the womb at a young age. And we know like the facts when it comes to 15 weeks. Um, I was going to read to you 15 um, facts from the Sh uh, Charlotte Loiser in Institute. Um, things that we know that a child in the womb at 15 weeks. Number one is all of the major organs have been formed. Number two, the heart pumps 26 quarts of blood per day. The heart has already beat approximately 15.8 million times at 15 weeks. Each finger moves separately. The baby um, prefers sucking his or hers left or right thumb at 15 weeks. Uh, number six is the baby can respond to touch. Seven, the baby responds to taste. The brain creates neurons at a rate of 250,000 per minute. The brain connections formed at 15 weeks um, that can last up into adulthood. Number 10 is the baby can feel pain. 11, females have most of the eggs that they will ever produce. At 15 weeks, um, the fetus already has the eggs that they will ever produce, a female. Um, 12, the baby has practiced breathing for over six weeks. 13, eyes open, or the eye movements are easily seen in ultrasound recordings. Um, and if a doctor took an x-ray this week, the baby's skeleton would be visible. And then um, lastly, 15, surgeons have successfully performed surgery on babies at 15 weeks. Those are just amazing miracles that we have been able to see, thankful to technology and to science that God has revealed to that. And why is the 15 weeks so important? And that's because the Dobbs case um, 
It was a decision Mississippi law back in 2018 that would prohibit nearly all abortions after the 15-week pregnancy. Um, Of course, the clinic and the only um, health provider that would provide abortions in Mississippi um, appealed that. And the Supreme Court considered this case back in December. But one fact, I think, before Kristen comes, I think it is so important to remember is that, did you know that the United States is one of just a handful of countries, including China, including North Korea, that allows late-term elective abortion? That's crazy. We're in the same category as China and North Korea when it comes to late-term abortions. In contrast, most of Europe limits elective abortion even prior to 15 weeks. And that's making the Mississippi law um, at the center of Dobbs a liberal, I mean, that makes it liberal in comparison to what the rest of the world is. So um, I think in nearly 50 years since Roe, America, of course, has lost over 60 million preborn babies. And when I think of that, I think of the lives that have been taken the scientists, the educators, the lawyers, the mothers and the fathers of the world that have been taken. And um, this is an issue that is at the heart of America. And I think it is time that we as America stand before the world and that we have said we were wrong. And it is not too late to fix it. I mean, if we set that example that we are going to change what we did wrong back in the 70s, and the world could see it. And for those that um, have sat maybe on the sidelines, you didn't know where you could play a part of that, we're going to talk a little bit of that later after, Kristen, because I don't want you to be discouraged that you've never done anything for the pro-life movement, because that was once me. So don't be discouraged. We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. But I want to welcome my friend, Kristen Hawkins, the president of Students for Life, back to Fearless. Thanks for having me on today. Kristen, it's been fun to get to know you over these last couple years. I was trying to think the first time we met. I think it was at your event in D.C. after the March for Life for the first time. I met you in the hallway. That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) And then then the next time, I think we were out in the midst of a protest at the Supreme Court. So it was super casual, very easy settings. (laughs) Well, you're always on the front lines. I'm seeing you on Fox News, and you and your army of students are everywhere, and we're thankful for that, and we're going to talk about that. But of course, we know um, what's coming up in June. But regarding the Dobbs versus uh, Jackson case— This is your world. This is your territory. Mm -hmm. You're talking about this all the time. Many people heard the stories of Roe might be overturned, but they need to know the facts. What are some of the facts that we need to know about this case? Sure. Well, this case is based off of Mississippi law that was signed into law and then immediately appealed. And it's a law that bans abortions when children can feel pain at 15 weeks. It bans a certain type of abortion, specifically dismemberment abortions, when the child is too large uh, to be sucked through a suction cannula and actually has to be dismembered with forceps or sofa clamps. Um, We know from pro-choice and pro-life scholars uh, that it 
it's a high likelihood that these children feel excruciating pain during these abortions. So the last abortion facility in Mississippi, in Jackson, Mississippi, Jackson Women's Health Organization, immediately appealed this law, um, fighting for what they call the rights uh, of women to have these late-term abortions. This case made its way up to the Supreme Court. Then this December, on December 1st, the state of Mississippi came before the court to argue as to why their law should be upheld. And they actually even went further than that, um, beyond just saying why their law that bans second trimester and third trimester abortion should be upheld. They actually argued that, in fact, KCV Planned Parenthood, this artificial uh, viability timeline that was handed down by the court in this, uh, the Supreme Court in the early 90s, which said that, well, states can restrict abortions around time of viability, which, by the way, viability is always changing mm-hmm. because of science. Uh, the the Solicitor General of Mississippi and the Attorney General of Mississippi actually went before the court and said, this is a slippery slope. It doesn't make sense. In fact, Roe needs to be thrown out. And states should have the right to decide if they want to protect their most vulnerable citizens. Uh, and then the abortion lobby uh, argued that uh, no, <laughs> essentially their summary of their oral arguments was no backsies, uh, that 1973 granted women this right uh, to end the life of their child. And that couldn't be taken back. Um, And so we right now are impatiently waiting for the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, The out there's you know one of three outcomes. Uh, The first outcome could be um, a rejection of the Mississippi law an upholding of Roe, we actually think that that outcome is very unlikely because the mere fact that the Supreme Court uh, took the case and decided to hear the case means that we believe there is a majority on the court willing to reconsider Roe. So we actually don't think the outcome uh, being a complete uh, defeat is very likely. It's possible, um, but we, but it's not really believed amongst legal scholars to be a likely outcome. This is why you've seen Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby get more vicious than they've ever gotten before and really use um, language to gin up their base in the past couple of months. Uh, We believe the likely outcomes are either going to be good or great. Good meaning that the Supreme Court upholds the Mississippi law, which would then allow Mm -hmm. states across the country to move to ban second and third trimester abortions. Great would be an outcome where the Supreme Court acknowledges their egregiously wrong decision in Roe and Doe in 1973 and moves to allow states back the right to regulate abortion as they see fit, meaning, you know, Mississippi could make abortion completely illegal. Uh, North Carolina could make abortion illegal after 12 weeks, and it would be up for yeah. up to the state legislatures to decide their abortion laws like it was before And I'm glad you brought that up because I've um, come across in a couple of conversations with people because they've seen the headlines of all the different propaganda mm-hmm. and, you know, the media is going to go <laughs> crazy come June. It's going to be they are. wildfire out there. But just even with Christians, just the misconceptions um, that they might have, that this does bounce back to the states. And that's why we see these states mm-hmm. kind of in a frenzy these last couple of years, because the states know it's coming. Um, I think that they know it's just mm-hmm. a matter of time as things have been tripping or right. um, just chipping away at Roe. But um, before we get into what the states are doing, as we've seen in some states, I want to, what are some misconceptions we're seeing um, or what are misconceptions that people have about this case? Um, I think 
Largely what you just hit upon is that there's a misconception that if the Supreme Court rules within sides of the state of Mississippi, that instantly abortion will be made illegal in our land. That is not the case. I <laughs> wish it were, but it is not the case. And we need to be ready as a pro-life movement because really this isn't the end mm-hmm. of our fight. In fact, this is why we launched Students for Life 16 years ago to be a post-pro organization. The army that we built, the 130,000 students, the 1,300 chapters, it's all been for this moment. Uh, so I've had a lot of sleepless nights uh, in, the, in the months leading up to this decision because really everything mm-hmm. we've been preparing this army of love to do it's all going to come to fruition and we're all going to have to have our marching orders and set out uh, for our jobs individually in our state. Um, I also think a big misconception, there's a couple other big, I I was just speaking on a campus last night, so I'm all amped (laughs) up. I know all of their arguments, okay? Um, One of the big misconceptions is the back alley abortion Mm -hmm. myth um, that, uh, you know, if this happens, there's going to be states that move to restrict abortion, uh, make abortion legal, and women are going to die for the tens of thousands. And I often hear this from Christians specifically Hmm. of a kind of a, I don't like abortion, but I also don't want women to die. Therefore, I'm for legal abortion, not because I like abortion. I don't like abortion. I wouldn't have abortion, but I don't want any women to die. And it's it's a misleading, I mean, one, we can t- unpack that. There's a lot. But of- back in the 70s, that was misleading as well because yes. they didn't have those statistics back in the 70s to talk about back alley abortions. Exactly. And and that's what I try to arm Christians with across the country. It's like you can look at Planned Parenthood's own award-winning statistician, Christopher Teets. He won Planned Parenthood's highest honor in 1974. The Washington Post quotes his work all the time. As far back as 1948, Teets is saying that the deaths from illegal abortions were dramatically down in America because of the invention of penicillin, antibiotics, and were about 250 women a year. You know, this is not, the 10,000 women dying a year was a myth propagated by two men, Dr. Bernard Nathanson and Larry Ladder, who co-founded NARAL Pro-Choice America. Bernard Nathanson later in life became pro-life and admitted they completely made up that number to scare people, good Christian people who didn't like abortion into being okay or tolerant of abortion. So that's another myth we have to be ready to combat is that there weren't uh, women dying by tens of thousands in back alleys before Roe versus Wade. In fact, Planned Parenthood's own medical director, Mary Calderon in 1958 came out and said that in her estimation, 90% of physicians committing abortions were quote unquote in good standing in their community. They just weren't advertising that they were killing children for their side hustle. The other myth that uh, I think we as Christians uh, need to be really ready to combat is the, well, we don't care about women and their children Mm -hmm. after they're born. And this is so frustrating because if you look at what the pro-life movement's been doing for 50 years, we literally have been standing beside Mm -hmm. her. In our communities, there's more than 3,000 pregnancy centers, more than 400 maternity homes. There's fewer than 600 abortion facilities. We are literally everywhere they are not providing real tangible hope and support and love to women and families uh, in crisis in our communities. And our goal in the pro-life movement 
movement is not to just simply make abortion unavailable. It's also to make abortion yeah. unthinkable. And that's really what I've been calling Christians uh, and pro-lifers across the country to be thinking about is how do we ensure in a post-Roe America that no woman stands alone? Because I have to tell you, we knocked on 107,000 doors in 20 cities this year, just in these, uh, we, we've been knocking in neighborhoods surrounding abortion facilities. And nearly 80% of the people, the neighbors that we have conversations with when we knock on the doors, do not know about the nonviolent alternatives that exist and have existed in our community for decades. Mm. That's a shocking indictment that we aren't doing a good enough job yeah. telling our story and what we actually do to support yeah. women. Well, you mentioned your army of students. I have seen those kids in action, Students for Life. Um, you have chapters all across uh, campuses, uh, high school and college campuses across the country. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've appreciated about this organization is that you have had a mindset post-Row. What is this America going to look like? You've had mm -hmm. a blueprint. You and I have talked about that. Um, what, when, let's say when— Rose overturned. Let's talk about June. Let's talk positive. Right. We're going to speak it into existence. Um, when it's overturned, you know, we've seen these states scrambling in the last couple of years, Mississippi being one of them, California, all like buckling down, either loosening their abortion laws or tightening them up because they know it's going to be bounced back. But when this happens, what is Students for Life, what does that post-Roe America look like? Mm. What do y'all have in action for your students? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely um, a twofold goal of ensuring the laws in the state uh, protect life and law, but then also ensuring that we protect life in service as well. And so for us, you know, our 501c4 organization, Students for Life Action, uh, is going, and we have been very active in state legislatures uh, for the past two years. In fact, our, our Life at Conception Act just uh, passed our second state in Oklahoma uh, very recently. We're very excited about that, that bans all abortions in the state of Oklahoma after Roe is reversed. Um, and so we're going to be rushing to state capitals. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be there. Often legislators think when they see young people walking their halls, uh, they're pro-choice. Um, and so they're often pretty shocked to find out that all of these young people are there because they want to protect women. They want to protect children from the predatory abortion industry. So we're going to have to be, you know, we have a pretty much a 50-state plan um, depending on the state. What can be done legally to protect women and children? And then we have to think about what can we do in our communities. On our campuses, we are already enacting this plan. We're having conversations with those directly targeted by abortion, changing their minds, doing uh, you know that same sort of outreach online to change minds. We're changing about 25 to 31% of young people we reach online. We change their minds about abortion. This semester on campus right now, we're averaging 11% minds change rate in person. Um, so we're going to continue to do that. But we've also been on campuses uh, really stepping up our work to transform the campuses. So working with student government association members, working with Students for Life groups to challenge their administrations, to provide tangible support, and even highlight the tangible support that maybe is state or federally mandated, uh, but that they don't actually talk about to ensure that no woman feels like she has to choose mm -hmm. between the life of her child and her education 
education. One in five college students is a pregnant or parenting. Um, we've also been calling Christian schools to account to drop their relationship with Planned Parenthood. This year, uh, this December, we released a report. We had just looked at all 700 Christian colleges in the country. Over 100 of them mm. uh, had a mm. public relationship on their mm. website with Planned Parenthood. Yeah. Uh, we went to these schools privately. More than 40% dropped the relationship. But we still have about 60 schools, uh, Christian schools, that refuse to drop their relationship. So we've got to tra- transform the environment on campus. Uh, in our churches, we have a campaign for abortion-free cities program where we're trying to get churches to sign up to be partners to become marketing agents for the pregnancy centers, the maternity homes, and their communities as well. Um, and to take bumper stickers and yard signs that just say standingwithyou.org, which is a great you know resource that we've worked on and with some other uh, pro-life groups like Harpy International this year, where a woman can go in, put in her zip code, instantly be connected with public and private mm. resources, start a live chat with an agent, make a phone call to get all the resources she needs to choose life. Well, how thankful I am that you've had this vision of this like blueprint of what it's going to look like and you are implementing this plan that you have had. And I do want to call out Christian schools and Christian churches because when you go up to the March for Life yeah. and you go up to the Students for Life Summit, it mm-hmm. is— um, I'll be honest, it's like Catholic kids are everywhere. I love it. I love talking to these kids from these Catholic (laughs) high schools and stuff. And to me, um, one of my friends and I, we went back to our own school. That These are where the church, Mm -hmm. evangelicals, the Protestants, they got to step it up. And I've just want to encourage them to teach their students to know what they believe, why they believe it. They're not going to stand alone. They have, uh, you know what, you are, it's funny that you brought up these young students that people can't believe that the young students are (laughs) pro-life, because that was totally shocking to me that they might be um, more liberal in different subject matters, but when it comes to life, they're going to stand for Mm -hmm. life. And I love it. And I'm thankful for that. But as you have this blueprint, so does the abortion industry. They kind of, they have their plans for the future. And I've learned a lot about it from you and watching you on social media, but about chemical abortion. This is kind of like their long-term, their industry's long-term strategy to make abortion self-managed. So can you give us a crash course? Because I know this is, once again, your territory you can talk on. Give the listeners a crash course of what the chemical abortion really is and and how the abortion industry is strategizing to use this in the future. Hmm. Yeah, chemical abortion really is, you're right, this is their post-row plan. Their goal uh, is to get all abortions in the first trimester where um, Americans say that they'll tolerate abortion. Um, it's easier for them to get doctors to commit abortions when they're not actively having to dismember or suck a child out of existence or just prescribing a pill. And they tell a woman, sit on the toilet, don't look, and keep flushing. Uh, they don't have to pay for the disposal of the child, which we know um, from my friend David Delayden's undercover work is a huge problem with them. They have so many bodies. They don't know what to do to dispose of these children. Um, so it's a, it's a huge it's a huge way for them. And they've actually used the COVID pandemic to really advance this agenda further, saying, oh, it's too unsafe for women to come in and get a surgical abortion. We're going to prescribe these pills over male. These pills are deadly. Uh, not only are they deadly for children, but they're deadly for women. There's two pills in the, right now in the chemical abortion cocktail. The first pill um, basically starves the child. It denies a progesterone from uh, going to the child so the child can't grow. Uh, and then the 
second pill induces contractions, induces labor. Um, and the woman is told she takes the first pill. It used to be she took the first pill in clinic and the second pill at home. And then she had to wait a few days, up to two mm. weeks of heavy bleeding. Um now, because of COVID, they're getting the pills over the counter, through the mail, and she's never even seeing a doctor. Um, these pills are um, very painful. We actually produce a docuseries. Um, it's called This is Chemical Abortion.com. It's five or six short episodes describing how these pills work, how hard these are on women's bodies, what happens. I would encourage folks to go to This is Chemical Abortion, uh, I think .com or .org, and you can watch it. It is Shocking. You can go to pregnancy websites uh, across the, the internet, forums, and you will hear women who will say that they're pro-choice, that they don't regret their abortion, but they will go to these pregnancy forums and they're warning other women about how terrible chemical abortions are. We have 70 pages of just women unsolicited going to tell other women how hard and painful and risky these procedures are. 15% of these abortions don't actually ever get complete. So a woman will have have to go in and get a surgical abortion to make sure that all of the tissue of the child, all the tissue of the placenta is removed so she doesn't suffer sepsis infection. About 5 to 7% of these women uh, end up in the emergency room. In fact, the Charlotte Lozier Institute just came out with a study saying that using state Medicaid data, abortion-related ER visits skyrocketed 500% mm. since the introduction of these pills. I mean, it's a, I mean, I was talking to a pregnancy center uh, director in Southern California who was shocked because the fire chief called the pregnancy center director asking for them to do a training for his firemen because the women were freaking out about the blood, the amount of hemorrhaging wow. that they were doing, calling the firemen, calling 911 for help, and the firemen were arriving on scene mm -hmm. not knowing what to do. Like this is a major public health crisis. These these pills are dramatically more risky than surgical oh, wow. abortion. When you think about post-abortion syndrome, uh, and you'll often talk to women uh, who've experienced abortion, they'll talk about how they'll never drive by the abortion facility again. They, they go out of their way not to go back to basically the scene of the crime. The crime scene is her bathroom. So every morning when she gets up to brush her teeth, she's mm -hmm. remembering her abortion. Like th there is... Um, there's a significant amount of emotional damage uh, that's being um, infer placed upon these women who who go through these chemical abortions. And yet the abortion industry loves them because they're cheaper for them to commit. Like I said, they don't have to pay for the disposal of the child. They don't even have to operate a freestanding abortion facility that might have prayer warriors outside praying in front, drawing attention to the fact. Uh, this is a win-win-win a for the abortion industry. Um, and, and this is, they've been using the Biden administration. They, in fact, the same day last spring that the Biden FDA came out and stopped the Johnson Johnson vaccine because one woman mm. had died. <laughs> the exact same day, they, they put a halt to that vaccine. They issued a letter saying they intended to drop all of the REMS, the risk evaluation mitigation strategies. These are uh, basically guidelines for doctors that are put on high-risk drugs. Uh, they issued a letter that same day saying, we're going to drop all of the REMS, even though we know 15% of women are still going to have to have a surgical abortion, even though we know the risk is five times greater that these women end up in emergency rooms. 
Same day. These are the things you don't hear about in the news. And I'm so thankful that you are there to share the facts about it. And Kristen, you are a powerful voice in this industry. And I've been thankful to get to know you over these last couple of years. Tell those who are listening how they can get involved with Students for Life, how they can help in this future, especially coming up in June. What can we be doing? And then afterwards. Yeah, I would really encourage folks um, to think about, we're going to be hosting a standing with her simulcast and Sunday coming up in June, really trying to get churches across the country uh, and even small groups to call people together uh, to introduce Christians across the country about to all the ministries that are out there providing support, hope, and healing to women. Um, and so I would encourage folks to go to standingwithyou.org. Uh, you can sign up to host the simulcast. This is going to be huge. We're going to have uh, human coalition, support after abortion, all these different organizations coming together to say, here's the tools that we all need to have basically in our virtual tool belt when mm-hmm. Roe is reversed. As Christians, that we're going to be called to be spokespersons and advocates for. So uh, you can go to standingwithyou.org and get all the details for that in June and sign up. Um, if you know a young person who wants to get active to transform their campus or start changing minds, uh, tell them to go to studentsforlife.org or follow us on social media. I also have a podcast explicitly pro-life where I, I'm trying to interview as many pro-life leaders as I can who are, are kind of... Uh, doing different good works throughout the pro-life mission field. I, I find that's often very interesting where folks say, well, I can never do uh, what you do, you know, getting yelled at by <laughs> pro-choice protesters for four hours. Uh, you, I, I'm not asking you to do that. There is a niche and there is a place for every single one of us in this fight. Absolutely. And, I, and I hope you can kind of get involved and start finding your spot. Absolutely. It's never too late to get involved. I've all often been open about my story of sitting on the sidelines for too long, and it's never too late Mm -hmm. that um, God will give you wisdom of how to get involved in your communities, Mm -hmm. um, volunteering at the crisis pregnancy centers, or getting the um, media out there at your churches. Wherever God can call you, you can serve. And so thank you, Kristen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Fearless. Thanks for having me today, Sissy. I am so thankful for Kristen being back here on Fearless. I want to encourage you, like she said, check out their website, Students for Life. Um, It is an incredible organization. I don't brag about too many organizations so much as I do for them. The students she have, they are passionate. They are always on the front lines um, fighting for pro-life. And it's been fun to watch that organization continue to grow. But like I said earlier, and as Kristen and I were talking, I don't want people to be discouraged and You know, I remember when Moses was called to go before Pharaoh, and he said, who am I? Who am I to go before Pharaoh? And some of you might be like, who am I? Who am I in this movement when America, this is a core of America's heart right now. We are seeing history unravel, that we have the chance before the world to fix what we have done wrong and to say no more. But who am I in all of this? And that God's response as you go, that I am God and I am with you. And to remember that God is with you wherever you go, that there is a place for each of us in this movement. I know not all of us can be at the Supreme Court and advocating for pro-life on the state um, court steps when it, if it, when and if it gets bounced back to the states. But there's always a place in your community, inside your churches. It's like Kristen said, 
Women are going to need to be loved on. They are going to need resources. They are going to need to know that they are not alone. So I encourage you to pray. And we need to be praying for what the U.S. Supreme Court's decision will be in June. This is so important. So I encourage you to get some of your friends, have them over for coffee or have them over for dinner one night and um, take one night to pray for this Supreme Court decision. This is so important for our future, the value of life. And to think that it is in the decisions of these justices, these few men and women in our nation, it is in their hands, and we need to be praying for that decision. Um, Encourage your church, encourage your pastor and the leadership to spend a night in prayer or a morning of prayer for this um, or in the weeks to come. However God leads you. So I want to encourage you, we need to be praying, um, and pastors need to be preparing their church for what's to come, because I believe this is going to be a huge spiritual battle. We cannot imagine Satan does not want this victory for us. He does not want this victory in America. He is the master of confusion and deceit and the evil that will be unleashed if Roe is um, overturned. Can you imagine what the media is going to do? Can you imagine what all the celebrities and the propaganda? We need to be prepared and God can prepare us to stand strong and to be able to take action. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Fearless. Now, in today's episode, I got a lot of my information from Decision Magazine. It's a publication of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. I encourage you to check it out. It is one of my go-to resources. Another resource I always check for these things is Students for Life, but also Family Research Council. Another great organization that just simplifies the facts for you because all of this can be very confusing. But I want to encourage you to check out other episodes you might have missed on Fearless. Check it out on sissygramlynch.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, always helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. 